Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The Lord bless his word as it has been read and now as it is preached. If you would like to turn with me this Lord's Day to our text. The text is found in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. 
But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Most people would profess a desire to acquire knowledge and understanding. I don't know too many people who say, I really desire to be ignorant and stupid. And God has given to those who truly desire knowledge a divinely appointed means of obtaining it. Don't refuse or ignore the correction you receive from God or from others. For the Lord would make us strong by first showing to us our weakness. He would make us courageous by first showing to us our fears. He would make us holy by first showing to us our wickedness. He would make us leaders by first making us servants. He would make us wise by showing to us our foolishness. He would fill us with knowledge by first showing to us our ignorance. For one of the greatest hindrances to growing in knowledge and wisdom is our own stubborn pride. Pride thinks it already knows it all. Pride does not want to be a student, it wants to be a teacher. Pride, dear ones, is unteachable. But God our Father has sovereignly determined in his most holy plan and will that the way to obtain knowledge and understanding and wisdom is to crucify our pride. Acknowledge we don't know everything. In fact, we don't know really anything. And thankfully receive the correction of God and others. Let us consider then the divine way to grow in knowledge from our text as found in Proverbs 15.32 this Lord's Day where we see the following two main points. First, the consequences of refusing correction. And second, the reward of hearing reproof. The first main point then, the consequences of refusing correction. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Here we see the folly of those who will not receive correction. Know what is first said to be refused or ignored. Instruction. Literally, the word is correction or discipline that is refused. Here is one who hates to be told that he or she has said or done something wrong or is deficient or lacking in knowledge in some way. When he or she is corrected, the walls immediately go up. Perhaps he will become defensive and seek to justify his error trying to prove how much he really does know, in spite of the fact that he's wrong in this particular area. Perhaps she will become silent and crawl into a shell and isolate herself from the big bad bully who corrected her, <clears throat> thereby ignoring the correction that was given. Perhaps he will fight back in a more aggressive fashion and will try to show how the correction that has been given to him is really wrong and how much 
that person really does not know that corrected him. Perhaps she will murmur and she will rail against the one who has brought correction. After, though, after he has left, or after she has left, and do so behind their backs. Or perhaps he will say he appreciates the correction to the face of the one who corrects, but will completely ignore and neglect it in applying it to his life. So it's pure hypocrisy. There are many, many ways, dear ones, in which people will respond to correction that is given to them. But the outcome of all of these responses is the same. They will not take it to heart and seek by God's grace to learn from the correction that was given to them. Their stubborn pride will not allow them to admit that they have a fault. They have committed a sin, that they are in error, that they have misunderstood, that they cannot do a job properly as they ought to do it, that they do not know as much as they think they really know. So instead of growing in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, they would rather cherish their fantasy worldview of their gifts and of their own abilities. They would rather ignore the correction than be taught the truth. Those who foolishly despise correction will inevitably give reasons, in their mind justifiable reasons, why they do not receive the correction that's been given to them. Well, here are three possible reasons that people may give, and there may be many others. The first possible reason that someone may give as to why he or she has not received the uh, correction that has been given is this. He didn't approach me in love or meekness. He may not have delivered the rebuke or correction in as gracious of a manner as he should have, but if what he said was true, we should be all ears because we want to become wise. It is true that when we correct or rebuke, we should speak the truth in love. In fact, the law of love, as it applies to this manner, would be correct others as you would have others correct you. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, gives to us that law of love and how we are to approach those whom we correct. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In the spirit of meekness and humility. But dear ones, let us never refuse to hear and obey the truth simply because it wasn't served to us in the most pleasing manner. If you were literally starving, you would not care how the food was served up to you. You would simply be thankful to receive nourishment for your body. Likewise, dear ones, if you hunger and thirst to be filled with knowledge and wisdom, you will not despise correction even if it is not served to you in humility and love. 
Beloved, we must even turn the harsh criticism, perhaps what we consider to be the unjust criticism of others, into a school lesson where we ask ourselves, is there any merit at all in the harsh criticism I have received? Any merit. Even one percent or a half a percent. Any merit at all. Can I use anything that was said to me to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, since the Lord has ordained from eternity all correction or even all criticism that comes into your life and mine, he certainly intends that we benefit and profit from it in any way that we possibly can. Do you earnestly ask the Lord how you can improve the criticism that has been offered to you? Or are you angry and resentful and bitter so that it provides a further stumbling block where, as is said here, you reject that correction or you reject that criticism and become all wrapped up in the destruction of your life rather than in the edification of your life. If we do not see that the correction is justified at all that is offered to us, perhaps it's based upon misinformation or a misunderstanding, I believe we must humbly say so. But we should not quickly say so. We should be quick to hear, slow to anger, and slow to speak. We must humbly say so if we think that it's really inaccurate. But let us never, the point I'm trying to make, let us never easily dismiss the correction or even criticism of others simply because we did not like the way that it was presented to us. That's the human way to do it. The divine way is to say, what can I learn from this? We may even indicate, if we truly believe that someone has been lacking in meekness or humility or love in the way that they've offered it, after we receive the, the correction, after we receive the criticism, to patiently, humbly even say to them, perhaps I can share with you how your correction in the future might be better received by others. Another reason that might be given for refusing to receive correction is this. He didn't correct me privately. Dear ones, not all rebuke or correction need be done Privately, if in fact the sin or error meets the following three criteria. First, if the behavior or words were clearly a violation of God's law. Second, if it was committed publicly in the hearing or in the view of others. And thirdly, if it is likely to cause offense to others and create division within the body of Christ. When, for example, a minister is publicly rebuked for heretical doctrines he promotes in a public lecture or a sermon, 
And it is clear that he embraces that which is a heresy, that which is false, that which is contrary to the clear teaching of God's word. It is not necessary to begin at the private stage. And as when Paul publicly rebuked Peter in Galatians chapter 2, there in Antioch, for Peter's scandalous behavior, not necessarily a scandalous error that he held, but scandalous behavior which he practiced in refusing to eat with the Gentiles when the Jews from Jerusalem came to Antioch. He was in effect, by his behavior, saying, in order to become a Christian, you must become a Jew first. And we cannot have and enjoy the same fellowship with Gentiles who are Christians as we can with Jews. So may ministers or anyone else, dear ones, be publicly rebuked for, for public scandalous sin or error. Furthermore, note how the Apostle Paul skips over the first two steps in Matthew 18 those of private admonition or bringing two or three witnesses and proceeds immediately to excommunication in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because of the public nature of the scandal of a member who had married his stepmother. It is certainly true that ordinarily private correction should be followed. That's the ordinary route and means that we should follow. But there are times when it is not necessary, but I would even submit to you that it is dangerous to follow that particular pattern. There are times when a public censure is absolutely necessary to the well-being of the individual as well as those who hear or see that which has been done. And then a third reason that might be given for refusing to receive correction is this he or she is subordinate to me and should not have corrected me I ask you dear ones where in all of the scripture does it teach that subordinates may not correct their superiors Solomon's words here are not limited to superiors correcting subordinates or equals correcting equals, but rather simply state without qualification, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. In fact, I would submit that a superior that cannot receive correction from a subordinate should not be in a place of leadership, for he acts as though his authority is absolute rather than delegated to him by God. He acts as if he were himself God. For only God cannot be corrected, dear ones, by his subordinates. Only God has absolute authority. Only God is perfect and has no faults, is not ignorant in any way, and has no room for correction. Beloved, when a superior receives the legitimate correction of a subordinate, it does not mar or distort authority. 
For that authority, again, as I said earlier, is not absolute, but that authority is derived from God. And therefore, that authority that we have is to be submitted to the authority of God and to the truth of God from whomever it comes. Whoever may bring it to us, we should be willing to submit to hear that which is spoken to us even by way of correction. And that includes that even if the smallest child in our congregation should come to a parent or come to an adult in this congregation and should bring a word of correction but brings the word of God and speaks it respectfully that that correction should be uh, received and not refused. Now, it's certainly true that, uh, that parents, that supervisors at work, lawful ministers and elders and lawful magistrates will administer correction more often than will subordinates. However, that is not to say that there will never be those times when superiors need to be corrected, and even publicly if the sin is committed publicly. It's interesting that even though Peter states in 1 Peter 3.6 that Sarah submitted to Abraham and called him her Lord, that is, called him her head. Nevertheless, Sarah rebuked Abraham when he wanted to keep Hagar and Ishmael in the family. And she said to him, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman will not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. She, in effect, rebuked and corrected her husband, though she called him Lord, and acknowledged that she, he was her head. In Genesis 21.10. You'll recall the soldiers of Saul rebuked King Saul in 1 Samuel 14.45 when he wanted to put his son Jonathan to death. And they said, God forbid that we allow you to, to touch even and harm even one hair of Jonathan's head. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rebuked the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. There we read of this of this particular rebuke, <clears throat> we see in verse 15 that the king says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, basically asks them a question when he says that he will put them into this fiery furnace for not bowing down to the image that he has erected. And he, said, he asks, And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Quite a proud, arrogant, pompous question to be asked. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not silent at this point. And they say to him, If it be so, in verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, 
that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The prophets of old continually rebuked priests and kings alike. Remember Nathan, the prophet, rebuked King David. However, when, for example, a child believes it is necessary to correct a parent or a wife to correct a husband or a member of the congregation to correct an elder or a minister for some conspicuous sin or error, let them come with scripture in hand, with humility and respect in their hearts and upon their lips, and speak the truth in love. Not looking for every possible opportunity to correct, but doing so only when it is necessary to correct, to remove a legitimate offense or scandal of sin or error. Neither superiors, nor subordinates, nor equals, dear ones, should anxiously await every possible opportunity to wield the sword of correction, lest that sword grow very dull and lose its effect. When correction, however, is used sparingly, meekly and necessarily, it will more likely be an effective sword in cutting to the very heart of the person. And when even encouragement in the Lord can precede correction, it will be more likely received as well. Note secondly from this first main point, what is the end of one who refuses the correction of others? He despises himself. By his refusal to hear or to admit that he is wrong or deficient or lacking in some way, he shows he actually despises himself. Kyle and Dalich give to us in their commentary on this verse, the true meaning of he despiseth himself, I believe, when they say, the despising of the soul is then the neglecting, endangering, exposing of the life. In a word, it is suicide. It is self-murder. Dear ones, do you understand the seriousness of what is being said here? by Solomon speaking, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to ignore legitimate correction in your life is to destroy your life. For the foolish man, the foolish woman, or the foolish child that refuses to be corrected or does not take correction seriously refuses the truth that is being offered to him and consigns himself to a weak and desperate and ignorant state of the soul. Let me illustrate this by a couple examples. First of all, what happens to the person who hardens his heart to the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin and use of the law of God in his life? Perhaps no one else 
even knows the struggles with this sin that is going on within this person's heart. But God knows and shows to him the wickedness of this particular secret sin. If he ignores the correction of the Holy Spirit, if he refuses to hear the rebuke of God's law, he will be given over to more serious sins and plunge his soul into danger and even destruction apart from the grace of God. In such a case, he's like a man who refuses to hear that he has cancer and thus will not receive the help he needs to overcome it. By his refusal, he in effect commits suicide. Or another example, what happens to the person who hardens his heart to the valid discipline of a faithful church? Matthew 18 gives to us the ordinary process by which correction is to be administered within the church for the health and well-being of its members. Not for their destruction, but for their edification. Correction ordinarily, according to Matthew 18, begins privately. And if it is not heeded privately, after earnest, humble, and loving attempts, correction then moves to the next stage where two or three witnesses are brought in order to confirm every word that is said. Now, if correction at that level is refused, then the matter for correction is brought to the courts of the Lord Jesus Christ. The courts of that church where the one administering the correction and the witnesses are heard before ministers and elders just as in a civil trial. The case is tried. The witnesses are brought forth. And if the court of Jesus Christ legitimately rules that faithful correction has been stubbornly refused at each point along this process, such obstinate refusal will lead either to the lesser excommunication, which is to be suspended from the Lord's Supper, or it will lead to the greater excommunication, which is to be removed from the visible church. Be put outside of the visible church to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved, the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Although these censures are not necessarily permanent because the whole goal of these censures is repentance and restoration, nor do they actually damn a person to hell. Only God can damn a person to hell. No human court condemn a person to hell as falsely taught by the Romish church. These censures, dear ones, are the supreme corrections lovingly administered by the church of Jesus Christ to those who refuse correction as stated here in Proverbs 15.32. And those censures when faithfully administered according to Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18 are already bound in heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. Dear ones, ask yourself today, even right now, why do I hate to be corrected by others? Is it not, as I said earlier, is it not our pride that is offended? Is it not our pride that is hurt? 
Is it not our pride that shows itself that it needs to be mortified and crucified in such situations? For when we thankfully submit to legitimate correction and understand the legitimate correction of others to be the loving correction and discipline of a loving Heavenly Father as we see in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says that He chastens those whom He receives as His own children. And when we see the correction we receive from others as being the loving correction and discipline of our Heavenly Husband the Lord Jesus Christ, as is taught in Revelation 3.19, where Christ rebukes and chastens as many as He loves. There is, when we see that, we will certainly be much more likely to take every step possible toward destroying our pride, that pride in our lives. And we'll be prepared by the Spirit to receive knowledge and understanding and wisdom from the Lord to the correction we receive. Our second main point is this, the reward of hearing reproof. We find this second main point coming out of the second part of the verse where it says, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Here is the glorious flip side of good news to the previous warning that we've just heard of. Here is the gracious, undeserved reward that we receive from the Lord when we receive correction. We receive understanding. We receive knowledge. We receive wisdom. Dear ones, this hearing of reproof I must clearly state, whenever we hear reproof, as stated in the second part of this verse, it is not the mere work of our flesh. It is not our mere desire, our natural desire that is simply coming to the surface to receive correction from others, from God or others. Those who earnestly and thankfully receive the faithful correction of God and the correction of others can take absolutely no credit for themselves that they've received it, they desire it, that they're thankful for it. For this is the evidence of the work of God's amazing grace in the soul of a sinner who apart from God's free grace would not receive it but would turn his back upon it and would continue on a path of self-destruction, suicide, and not heeding the correction of God and of others. For if the Lord did not sovereignly and effectually call the sinner to himself and grant to him a humble heart to receive God's holy and righteous reproof of sin and error, the sinner would continue in his refusal to heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning his sin. But when the God who has saved us, the God the Father, covenanted with God the Son from all eternity to redeem and save those whom he had elected, the Son of God came to earth, dear ones, and bore even the sin of stubborn, 
and willful pride for his elect. Our Savior suffered the infinite wrath of a holy God against our obstinate pride so that this pride which condemns all men to hell may be graciously forgiven by God as we come to Christ, trusting in Him alone for our righteousness, trusting in Him alone for our forgiveness, trusting in Him alone for our eternal life, trusting in Him alone for our sanctification. Dear ones, let us never boast in ourselves that we are that we ourselves are enabled by our own abilities or even act as though this were the case. That we are enabled by our abilities to receive correction from God or others. But each time we do, let us fall upon our faces before a merciful God who has not left us to commit suicide, but has graciously given us the ability and the desire to live, and to live more abundantly, and to grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God here today sets before us, dear ones, the way of life and the way of death. Just as he said by his prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8, as Jeremiah spoke to the people of God, living at that time. <clears throat> and unto this people thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. That way of life and way of death is set before you, the people of God today, even as Jeremiah laid it before God's people then. God urges you According to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he urges you to choose life, not death. To choose wisdom, not foolishness. To choose knowledge, not ignorance. When he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, thou mayest obey his voice, thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. The Lord is your life. It is not correction that is your life. It is not rebuke or reproof that is your life. We must never forget it is the Lord that is our life. These are merely means that God has given to us in which to obtain and to find life but Jesus Christ, dear ones, is always and only our life. He is our wisdom, and He has been made to us wisdom 
and righteousness and redemption and sanctification. He is that. But the Lord does mercifully instruct us that the way of life is to earnestly and thankfully receive correction. Listen to what the Lord says in Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The way of life. For as the way of death, the way of death is to stubbornly and foolishly refuse correction, according to Proverbs 15.10, where it says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die, shall commit suicide shall destroy himself. The Lord today calls out to you, his people, by his word and by his spirit, that you be not like the foolish man that is described in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 12, because he did not receive rebuke and correction, he did not hear what was spoken unto him, he says, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. And he finds himself in the way of destruction. But rather, dear ones, the Lord calls you today to be like the wise man Proverbs 8.36 and to receive true wisdom even the Lord Jesus Christ that he that sinneth against me that is the Lord Jesus Christ who manifests himself as true wisdom here in Proverbs 8 but he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul all they that hate me love death love death we cannot dear ones be wise we cannot be understanding we cannot be truly knowledgeable we cannot be righteous we cannot be sanctified we cannot do this in our own strength we must cast ourselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ or without him we can do nothing it is his merit by which we are able to hear and to receive instruction. Yes, it is painful. It hurts to be corrected. Let's be perfectly honest. But let us remember, it is only our pride that is crying out in pain. It is our pride, and that needs to be mortified. Let us therefore grow in our love of truth, knowledge, and wisdom to such an extent that we thankfully receive all legitimate correction that comes our way. I therefore, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, dear ones, urge you, choose the way of life 
not the way of death. Let's stand together in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Comforter, the Holy Spirit, we do adore Thee this day. We do praise Thee, for Thou art one God, and there is none like unto Thee. And there is no imperfection in Thee, and Thou dost possess all authority, and Thou cannot be corrected or blamed for anything. There is no blemish in Thee. Thou art completely holy and righteous in all of Thy ways and in all of Thy works. But Father, we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our wickedness, our pride, our selfishness. We acknowledge, O Lord, that we by nature hate to be corrected, that we think it, we know it all. Father, we pray that Thou would, by Thy mercy and grace, humble us, that Thou would send Thy Spirit to correct us, that as we learn to be corrected by Thy Spirit, that we would our superiors, our equals, or our subordinates, that Thou would give to us, O Lord, the grace, not naturally or by, in, by our nature to love correction, but by thy grace to love correction. For it manifests the love of God and it manifests the love of our divine husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Direct us, O Lord, along the way of life, therefore, that we not destroy ourselves and that we avoid the ravine, the crevice, the way of death and refusing correction. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, 
commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.